Hey, Culture and Conversations family. I am your host, Jamison Smallwood, and I'm about to make you guys part of the conversation. Thank you guys for downloading. Thank you guys for subscribing to. Thank you guys for sharing culture and conversations. I hope you are having a great week as you prepare to listen to this episode. And before we get too far into it, please go by your favorite podcast listening application, wherever you listen to podcast at. And if you can give culture and conversations a five star review. Up next on Culture and Conversations, I'm going to share with you guys my life a little bit. We're going to talk about why I went to therapy. We're going to talk about dating. And we're going to talk about how I've evolved how I see women. Up next on Culture and Conversations. Hey, everybody out there. Thank you for listening to. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing to Culture and Conversations. It is good to be back talking with you again. I am doing something a little bit different on this episode. I am doing a live recording of my podcast. I am on Facebook right now streaming the podcast as of this recording And I'm sharing with the people on the Culture and Conversations page how I go about creating and crafting a podcast. So I wanted to do this because I need to get this episode out for the week. And I said, why not share it with the Culture and Conversations family on Facebook? So uh, for people who are in the comments and in the chat, please introduce yourself. Please say hello. Uh, Don't be shy. I will interact with you throughout the show. I'm going to give this episode Um, to you from my life experience. I don't have a guest tonight and I just want to share it with you so that my listeners of the actual audio podcast feed will get this content as well. So one of the things that's been going on in a lot of the discussions that I've been a part of is that we've been talking a lot about dating. Uh, We've been talking a lot about how men and women see each other, but most appropriately, probably how men see women Uh, We've been talking about a lot of stuff about first dates and paying and all of this stuff. And that's been a recurring theme of culture and conversations. And just so people understand, one of the things that this show is about, it is about my life. So as I go through different phases of my life right now, I'm dating because I'm a single guy. I'm a divorcee. You guys know that from previous episodes, like episode 50, uh, where I talk about I'm just a guy who's leftovers. I share my life with you as I kind of go through it. So even though the content is organic, I still decide what I want to share with you. And as I have these discussions with my friends, we've been having this week about who pays and and all this stuff. It kind of really, I guess, sparked in me a discussion about how I see my life and this journey that I've been on evolving from a man um, who thought he knew a lot about women and into real, the realization that uh, I'm still learning that and, and how, to relate to women better. And I wanted to kind of talk about how all that fits into my story around therapy and and self-improvement. So uh, if you're in the comments, that's what you're about to hear uh, on the live stream. Please share your comments as, as things come up and I say things that you find interesting and I'm going to try to interact with them. And I'm going to take this whole episode and upload it to cultureandconversations.com via my podcast feed. So, I will guess take you back in time uh, a little bit and 
I'll talk about, hmm, I guess I go all the way back to when I first started dating. Uh, that was back in 2006. I always call myself a late bloomer. Uh, you know, I just was just always into, I guess, school, books, heads down. And I felt like I was always kind of completely clueless when it came to women. And I started dating seriously for the first time in 2006. And in that process or in that experience, you know, I had a lot of wonderful firsts, right? And um, I felt I felt what love felt like for the first time as best I can understand it. And I felt what it was like to miss someone and, and have them miss you and, you know, all the butterfly stuff, right? Like I was, I'm, I, I was at a point where I was experiencing all this for the first time. And I think I'm, I was happy that it happened in my timeline when it did, because it gave me a chance to really process it. Um, you know, I was more educated at 20, 22, 23 to kind of, you know, kind of grok, as we would say in the technical world, all of these different experiences I was, I was feeling and all this emotion that I was going through. And I thought I had it figured out, right? I took a very analytical approach to my dating life and my relationship back then. And I said, man, if I'm just logical about this, <laughs> I'll be able to get through this. Right. Um, but the, the, the reality of that was that I was really ill-equipped as a man to be in that relationship. You know, um, I did nice stuff and I've said this before on the podcast, I did nice stuff, but that doesn't necessarily mean I was a good boyfriend, right? Um, doing nice stuff. And this is probably the first thing I'm going to share with you is that one of the lessons I learned a long way is that doing nice stuff is great. But if you don't have the other aspects of the relationship mastered, then you're just really, for lack of a better word, a nice fuck boy, right? You're just doing nice stuff, but it's not actually helping progress the relationship. And that's one of the things that I was challenged on. And I had to kind of go through a couple of relationships before I kind of understood that there was a pattern to this, right? Uh, and maybe that's what I should call this episode. You guys let me know in the comments. Should I call this episode, I was a nice fuck boy? I think that's a pretty good... <laughs> That's a pretty good a good title for this episode. I'm going to have to give it a, the explicit rating for me saying that. Uh, so I went through these relationships, you know, in my 20s and culminating into the time I got married. And I took the same approach. Just do nice stuff. And a happy woman should be the output of that. You know, a happy woman should be the output of that. Um, it didn't work. So then the question became, okay. You've had three relationships, Jameson, and you've progressed into these serious relationships. You've done some dating in between, but you had three serious relationships at a time in your life where you were, you know, socially mature at a time in your life where you were building a career at a time in your life where you had some amazing, you know, opportunities coming into your life and all that stuff around you that you accumulated materially speaking, uh, socially speaking it did not equip you for success in those relationships. And as much as I could blame, obviously the women in my life and, Oh, they were just trash and blah, blah, blah. You know, I, and don't get me wrong. Part of me being a nice fuck boy was that I did a lot of that. You know, I, I went on these rants and I just was thrashing around in my, in my boyhood. 
complaining about, well, why don't they get me? And why don't they understand? And I'm doing nice stuff. I had this, this, this built in routine for protecting my ego because I didn't want to face the fact that I was a nice fuck boy. And when you go through that realization as a man, it unfortunately often comes after you've had some really bad experiences. People talk about hitting rock bottom when it comes to, uh, you know, alcoholism or some type of addiction. Well, for me, I think my divorce was my relationship rock bottom. And it forced me to really pause and take a moment and ask some really important questions and deep and and personal questions that I wanted to just, you know, explore in myself because I felt like I couldn't go into another relationship as Jameson 1.0. Uh, I'm a software engineer by trade for people who know that or don't know that. And I know that I always talk about Jameson 1.0, but that's a software term for, you know, versioning where we upgrade the software over and over again. And we keep track of what version of the software is out there by, by giving it a version number. So for me, I felt like I was Jameson 1.0 at the end of my divorce and I needed to be upgraded to Jameson 2.0. So I went on that process So I thought about dating a lot. Like I was like, oh, well, let me just kind of figure out this dating thing again. I'm going going to go out here and, and maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe I just need to do a bunch of dating and, and I'll, and I'll, you know, figure it out as I date and get to know people and have fun. Well, that didn't work either. Uh, (laughs) that did not produce Jameson 2.0. As a matter of fact, what happened was, uh, I just ended up having these sort of sporadic encounters and, even though I was determined that from a spiritual standpoint, I was going to ask God to help guide my dating life, help me make smart choices about who I date. I ended up seeing people come into my life and people leave my life. And it still left me sort of confused about why all that stuff was going on. And I appreciated the ones who, who I, who I got to know in that time because I still got to meet some amazing women. Right. And I still got a chance to go through the dating process and work that social muscle, but I hadn't produced a successful relationship. And I decided at that point, if I was going to really understand myself, I needed to go to therapy and I'm an African-American guy. And in our community, traditionally speaking, therapy is sort of taboo. You know, we, you know, I grew up hearing it all the time. Well, why you want to go tell somebody all your business and all your problems and therapy obviously in, uh, involves a certain degree of transparency and honesty and openness. And I was willing to do that because I was like, I'm, I'm going to be a progressive guy. I'm going to use the resources I have available to me to go get therapy. And I'm going to see what's going on inside of my head. <laughs> you know, um, I was, I was dating somebody at the time, but I wasn't really happy with the relationship or the situationship, that's more appropriate, the situationship. But I I didn't feel like I had the resources of character and of purpose to really make a determination about what that situation should be. Uh, one of the things I went through in my divorce, or at least after my divorce and my healing process, was that I was really skittish. So um, I was always looking to date, but I used that sort of plethora of women I had in my life to justify not picking one and actually trying to build a relationship with them because relationships are scary. I just got done failing 
you know, at, at, at the biggest relationship I ever attempted, which was a marriage. Right. So I used all of that dating to really hide the fact that I was scared of, of committing to someone and being in a relationship. So when I found somebody who I was kind of just kicking it with, and I, I spent a long time kicking it with them, like the better part of a year on and off kicking it with them. I was thinking that, Hey, this is cool. This is, this is progress. But I had, I didn't feel easy about the relationship. I didn't feel secure in it. And rather than project my insecurities onto this person, I decided that let me go to therapy and have that discussion. So therapy for me started off as me choosing someone to who I could feel like I could talk to. I had been to a therapist before when I was going through my marriage issues, but I never felt like I connected with any of them. And so I decided that first off, I wanted her to be a woman, uh, as a therapist, I felt like that would be important because I needed someone who would challenge my way of looking at things inherently from their life experience as a woman. Uh, and two, I wanted them to be a black therapist. Uh, I wanted them to be able to understand the cultural nuances that I hail from. I wanted them to, to speak the, the language of my existence and help translate it from my lived experience into a better way of thinking about things and self-exploration. So uh, what's going to Allison Nicole? I see you checking in. This is a live recording of the culture and conversations podcast available for download every Wednesday, culture and So I'm talking about therapy and I was just talking about how I went through that experience of picking a therapist. I want her to be a black woman so that she could speak to me as a woman, but also as a black woman, because that was my target demographic for my dating life. That's who I date. So in that process, I found a therapist, a wonderful therapist, and just really direct. Uh, she didn't back down from uh, my personality. Uh, she was she was with the shits, <laughs> and uh, I supported that. You know, I was really happy about that because I part of my interest in my dating life and as I look for particular types of women is that I want them to be able to stand up to my bluster, right? Um, they need to be able to push back. And, and because I can, I can be very focused and driven and push hard, but I need somebody who can make me pause and say, no, Jameson, that's not what we're doing. Or no, we need to think about this. We need to look at this in a different way. So with that, I found that in my therapist and she listened a lot, which is really cool. But one of the things that I liked about her was that she actually tried to give me tangible things to work on or to think about at the end of every session. One of the things I would advise if a person looking for a therapist is to avoid getting a therapist who sort of just sits there and listens, but doesn't really tell you anything to do or give you any way of reflecting upon the discussion that you had with them. Uh, you know, one of the criticisms of therapists is that they can uh, come off as just like a paid friend, <laughs> somebody you paying to talk to. And uh, I, you know, thankfully I didn't, I didn't have that experience with her. That's what made her a great therapist is that she actually gave me tangible things to work on. Uh, I explained to her that I was a divorcee and that I was, you know, dating and trying to figure out my life. And I wanted to get some clarity about myself before I went back and got into a serious relationship and committed to someone because I wanted to be a better man than I was, you know, at the time. And I'm not going to pretend like those sessions with my therapist 
did all this magic on me. But one of the things that I think also is a good thing to look for in a therapist is that does this therapist prompt you to really think critically about yourself and also about past decisions and how you made those decisions. Uh, you know, when I talked to her about going uh, into the thought process of getting married, you know, one of the things that she pointed out was that I kind of created a false dilemma, you know, is that instead of me, um, you know, approaching the relationship I was in as a opportunity to get to know the person, I was in this kind of polarized space of, well, either I need to get married to her because we're having sex <laughs> or I need to just stop dating her altogether. Right. So part of that leap was, you know, one of a spiritual conviction, but it really was a faulty way of thinking. Right. Because the, the, the way to split the horns of that dilemma is you could also just stop having sex with her. Right. And just get to know the woman. Right. And then you get to see all of the crazy stuff that could potentially be there in the relationship and things that would be unhealthy to carry forward into a marriage. But I wasn't thinking that way. And she pointed that out to me and I was like, man, you know, that was that was profound. So uh, in in that process, in that reckoning of my decision making, it really challenged me to look at why I made those decisions. So here we are at therapy. Right. That's the that's the piece of this I wanted to really capture and talk about. It's like what led me into therapy. But let's go back a little bit. Um, you know, I, I as I've I've always described myself as a hopeless romantic. I'm a kind of guy who I do all that stuff. Like I buy the flowers and gifts and, you know, I pay for dates, hashtag pay to play. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much want to be a romantic. I enjoy that. I like the creativity and inspires in me. Um, I like the reaction that I get when I, when I do those things, I like expressing myself and how I feel about a person on, in a myriad of ways that kind of leads me into the space of what we would call a hopeless romantic. Right. Um, and that's my, that's, that's really my heart. That's the foundation of how I operate. But the, the challenge of maturing from being a nice fuck boy into being a grown man is that you have to realize that even though you have these motivations, first off, are there competing or um, contributing motivators to why you're doing the things that you're doing? So that led me down the road of talking about ego with myself, you know, having this conversation with, with myself, my ego and, and looking at, at, at how my ego played a part in the decision-making for why I got married, uh, looking at also sort of being, um, being kind of, uh, I guess, I guess jaded from the dating process of being single and not really valuing that singleness appropriately. And also looking for validation in being married versus finding that validation coming from within myself. So that was the hardest piece to, to come to grips with is that even though I had this, you know, this crazy opinion of myself and I think that I'm hashtag exceptional and I think that I'm this great guy and I'm just, you know, I got all my shit together. Uh, it, re it, it really shook me when I had that epiphany that I was seeking validation, that the, the very thing that I kind of prided myself on not, seeking after in people, it was really at the core of why I rushed into getting married. It was that I was seeking validation to prove to myself and to prove to other people that I was worthy of being married. Right. All unhealthy as the therapist would say, not right and wrong. The therapist doesn't use the term right and wrong. Uh, she would always say unhealthy or healthy. Right. But in my mind, I equate it to, you know, morality. So 
I should be doing things that are right <laughs> and I should not be doing the things that are wrong. Uh, so it just was an unhealthy mindset looking for validation in myself and uh, through for, for myself through marriage as opposed to having it coming from within me. Right. Um, you know, you're worthy because you're worthy, you know, because you were created worthy. That's the that's the message of my faith informs me of. But instead, I allowed I allowed this notion of something outside of me to define me in some way. So as a result of that. I made bad decisions because I had bad motives, right? Because your motives are what push you to make decisions. So even though I'm a hopeless romantic and I had this, 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 this heart to be really sweet towards women because I always wanted to be the kind of man uh, that I thought my mom would love to be with. It's kind of a weird thing to say it that way, but I don't have a Oedipus complex, but what I'm saying, <laughs> hashtag Oedipus complex. But what I'm saying is, is that I always wanted to be a good guy. Right. I wanted to be a, a sweet guy. Uh, I wanted to be somebody who was loving and that that, you know, just as I wanted to do nice things for my mom. And even as an adult, I do nice things for mom. I wanted to have that kind of heart towards my wife. Right. Because the first woman you learn to love in a household is your mother. Right. So I kind of wanted to have that heart that I have for my mother in various ways for my wife. And I had that. That's always been my foundation. That's always been the perspective I operated with, but I couldn't bring that to bear without having dealt with all of these uh, other motivators that I found within myself. And when I started doing the self-examination and and looking over it all through therapy, through the lens of therapy. Um, so therapy brought me to that that humbling realization. And that's when I believe Jameson 2.0 began to download and be installed, right? Whatever your cliche metaphor you want to use is. But that's when I really began to kind of break through. Um, I had to be honest about the past in terms of how I dealt with anger and how I expressed my displeasure um, when something came up or how I have built these unhealthy expectations and enforced them upon other people and, and especially the women I was in relationships with. Um, so that that gave me a lot to work on right there, right? What, why do I have this expectation? Why am I pushing this off on somebody else? And what is it that I'm hoping to gain from that? Right. So when I had that conversation, that's when I began to really say, okay, if I'm going to be in a relationship, that's going to be successful. I've got to allow this woman to be herself and to express who she truly is to me. And not get lost in what I want the reality of it to be as a hopeless romantic, but to get to give her an opportunity to be who she's supposed to be, which is herself. Right. Seems like such a simple concept, but I'm I I know for a fact that I'm the type of person who likes to construct his safe and healthy realities. Right. Uh, So for people who are tuning in, you're watching a live recording of the Culture and Conversations podcast. This episode will go up on my website culture and conversations.com tonight. So you guys are seeing me take this live. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. I'm having a very deep conversation about therapy and myself and love and dating and all that stuff. And I'm sharing this with you guys as I record it. So this is exactly what's going to go up on the feed because I want to give you guys an insight into like how these podcast episodes. So, um, so yeah, I had that conversation that, uh, you know, I need to work on letting women be themselves 
Uh, I didn't want to be controlling. I didn't want to be seen as a controlling person. I didn't want to be seen as someone uh, who was manipulative in a relationship because that's part of being a nice and excuse the language tonight, but that's part of being a nice fuck boy, right? I'm giving gifts to you because I'm trying to manipulate you. I'm not really trying to, I'm not really trying to express my heart towards you. That's a part of the motivation. I can always claim that to be the motivation, but I'm trying to manipulate you, right? Um, I'm trying to manipulate the response that you give me, how you feel about me by me doing nice stuff instead of me actually trying to help you actualize your heart's desire through the relationship. Right. So once you kind of, once you begin to approach that from that angle, now you got to draw back and say, well, okay, if, if, if doing, how can I ensure that I'm doing nice stuff from a genuine place and not a manipulative place? Right. Like how can I ensure that? So there's all conversations I had to have with myself in this upgrade of me going from Jameson 1.0 to Jameson 2.0. Uh, also I had to learn that, I needed to restrain myself in my passion to be successful in a relationship. It's okay if it doesn't work, right? It's okay if it doesn't work. Uh, You guys are listening to a live recording of the Culture and Conversations podcast. I see you guys checking in. I see you, Sheree. I see you, Kelvin, KB Bivens. I see you, Michael Spencer. What's going on, man? I'm just talking about my journey into therapy my journey out of therapy, my journey in my dating life and how I see women, all that good stuff kind of balled into this, balled up into this episode of culture and conversations. So, you know, I had to begin to approach relationships with the mindset that it's okay if they don't work, <laughs> right? I don't have to be so outcome dependent when I date. I don't have to be so outcome dependent when I meet somebody. So, you know, the only way I could get to a point where I could be really cool was that with that is if I started to affirm the agency of women, right? I said, Hey, I'm like, Hey, you know, sister, whatever you want to do, um, in your dating life, that's cool. Right. Because that, that's where I had to start tearing down my validation seeking from dating and relationships and start returning the value and its source from to back to my heart. I had to bring it back to me. So I had to start saying, okay, if this works, this dating situation works cool. If it doesn't work, it's okay too. So, um, even though we talk a lot about dating and, and on first dates, the reason I pay, uh, I want to show her that I care about her, you know, instantly that there's a degree of trust I'm giving her. And it's not to, it's not so much to impress her because that's not what this is. It's not me once again, trying to manipulate her, but it's me also trying to clear the space off of the dating environment, because it's already contentious enough, right? Like you already got people who are nervous and anxious and, you know, you're meeting somebody for the first time and, you know, she's meeting you for the first time and you're, you're sitting down together and, you know, I just want her to get a chance to know me. So I don't want her feeling like she has to worry about, you know, who's, how she's going to, she's going to pay for this or she didn't plan on going out with me. You know, that's another thing, right? She didn't plan on going out with me and I'm asking her for a time, but so I just want to express that in terms of, trying to rebuild my dating approach. So I said, okay, well, I don't want to be manipulative, but I do still want to convey that I care enough and, and I'm a gentleman. So I'm going to do that. Um, now with that, at that point I said, okay, whatever comes from this, it's going to be okay. Right. If she doesn't want to see me anymore, or this, this situation doesn't develop into a relationship, but maybe a friendship, 
great. That's cool. That's cool. Um, so that's, that's the approach I began to take. So I would meet women out, introduce myself, get to know them, maybe social media, sliding in DMs, all that stuff. But the mindset I've always had, and I still continue to have to this day, is that it's okay if it doesn't work out. There's no need for me to seek validation in somebody else's opinion of me. And that was a huge breakthrough. Um, that came, that one was, that one there uh, helped me to really build a, a system of validation internally that I needed to be able to begin, I think, to become this person I call Jameson 2.0. So in my dating life, I just wanted to always project that. So that's why I don't ever follow up in my dating life when I'm out and say, Hey, you know, I took you out to this place and you didn't text me back or I, or I took you out to this restaurant and we didn't, I didn't hear back from you. How dare you? I never forget when that situation I was in came to an end that I talked about that kind of gave me the impetus to go into uh, therapy. When it came to the end, I knew that she was probably anticipating some rant from me. Because I was really generous. I am really generous when I when I care about somebody, when I'm trying to express that I can be really generous. But I had to remind myself that either I did that from a place of purity because of how I felt about that person and and what I wanted that person to know about what was in my you know feelings and heart for her, or I did it to be manipulative. And if I did it to be manipulative, then I was going to get on the phone and let her know, Hey, you know, <laughs> you know, I did blah, blah, blah. And I did this and we did that. And, you know, and I could go down that rant, but that's so Jameson 1.0, right? Like anybody who knew me back when I'm talking about back pre 2011, that's like totally my, that was totally my thing. Right. So I paused, which is another thing I learned in therapy is to pause. <laughs> Even if you're mad and you're on fire, pause, right? Take a moment and just reflect on why you're why you're feeling what you're feeling and then respond. And I just responded. I said, you know, something to the effect of, you know, this is what you did. And this is how this is how this made me feel. This is why it made me feel the way it did. Once again, dealing with that person and their actions and and focusing in on the interaction between me and them, not what I did for them, but what they did to me. And calling that to task and, and, and calling that out. And then that's what gave me the foundation of just saying, hey, well, you know, obviously we can't see each other anymore. And that was evident, right? That had come to it to its end. But I was so proud of myself for how I handled that situation that I never mentioned anything that I did. I never mentioned any of the gifts. I never mentioned any of the dates. I never mentioned any of the activities. I never mentioned any of the little sweet things and sweet gestures. None of that. I left alone because what I should be doing should come from a place of intention, a place of genuine affection. It should never be coming from a place where it's outcome dependent. And when I mean that, what I mean when I say outcome dependent is I don't want to ever put a woman in a position where she feels like, if he did this for me, then it's going to be quid pro quo. That's not the game, right? That's not the game. Uh, that's not that's not how I'm moving in as Jameson 2.0. Um, you know, and it was a big that was a big breakthrough. Yeah, I'm like, I, I keep saying that like that was huge for me. It helped me to really begin to mature as a man. 
And this is where the conversation transitions a little bit. If you are listening, you're wondering, hey, what is this we're listening to? <laughs> Why is he ranting? This isn't a rant. This is me doing a live recording of the Culture and Conversations podcast. This is going to go up tonight. I'm going to upload this this uh, audio from this this video stream uh, to cultureandconversations.com, and you'll be able to get it on your podcast applications, iTunes, all that stuff. Wherever you listen to podcasts, that it'll come out, and you'll get it. So I see you guys checking in. I see you, ISIS. I see you, Cherie. And uh, yeah, so, you know, as we fast forward, you know, in, into me being trying to be Jameson 2.0 and kind of booting up and getting into the swing of that. Uh, one of the things that I had to really be honest about is that even as a nice, <laughs> and this is the title of the episode, I was a nice fuck boy, even as a nice fuck boy. And I use that language just to just for the for the, for the, to really describe how I was. Even as a nice fuckboy, yes, the things I did was were nice. Yes, the motivations in part were nice and sweet and genuine and all that. And it came from a great place, right? Partly. <laughs> I still needed to mature into a man. I had I was anatomically a man. Uh license I had lived old enough according to the United States law to be considered a man. But the 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 philosophical development and I would even say the spiritual development wasn't there as it related to how I was in, how I would engage in relationships with women. And even though you can be a romantic, that's not the goal of a relationship. And this is still under development. So don't take this as my sign sealed stamped, uh, 100% ironclad belief on this. Because it's still in development, it's still I'm still evolving on this as I understand, and it changes based obviously on who you date and, and who you spend time with. But for me, I think the definition now, as I see it, after having studied it, after having studied myself in my past relationships, I think the the best measure of my manhood ultimately comes back to how um, how I treat women in my life as it relates to them reaching their life's potential as expressed in a relationship, uh, whether that's, you know, for instance, me being a God father to my goddaughter, uh, whether that's me being a son to my mother, whether that's being me being, um, you know, a husband to a wife, the women that I have in my life, am I aiding them to be the best expressions of who God created them to be? And that's a fairly broad definition, but it starts with, am I establishing and affirming her value? Right. You know, that's part of why I pay on first dates, because I want to affirm her value, especially in the African-American community. I feel like there's just so many things that they emanate from the male perspective that can be really toxic. I hate to use that word and that phrase, but that's the best analogy I can come up with. And I want to always affirm the humanity, the worth, the dignity of black women. That's that's that should be my prime objective as a black man. So when I go on a date with a black woman. I want to sit down and let her know that I appreciate who she is. I appreciate her time. I appreciate her, her investment. I appreciate who God made her. So I sit down and the first thing I can do to express that is to just pick up the check, right? Just pick up the check. That's what I, that's why I do it. Um, you know, and if I, and if I'm coming at it from any other motive of like, Oh, well she owes me after the check gets to a certain amount, that's not the right motivation. Right. And I don't operate from that motivation. So that's where my definition of manhood now resides is that I want to help women 
in my life who looked to me in relationship, who looked to me in friendship, who looked to me um, in, in, in intimate relationships, however you want to define it, I want to help them be the best they can through the strengths and the abilities that I have. But that also can never infringe upon who she wants to be and how she wants to do things. So that's another thing that I had to realize about myself from therapy is uh, <laughs> is that I had superhero. Uh, I had like a superhero mindset about dating and, 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 and being of service. And I think I think that's because my love language is acts of service. I love doing stuff for people and helping people, um, especially if I care about you. Right. Like I, I really love doing that. But I can't be overbearing. So if she wants to solve a problem a certain kind of way, I need to give her space to solve that problem. And by give her space, I mean leave her alone unless she asks for help in a very specific way. So if she wants my opinion, sure, I'll give it. If she wants uh, me to go and do something, sure, I'll try and do it if I can. But I should never overstep my bounds and insist upon helping in a way that she doesn't want me to help. Or assuming that she just needs me to come and do it instead of her actually asking for help. Um, sometimes I get you in trouble if people are used to people pushing their you know way into their life and into their problems. But I'd rather be accused of not being quick enough to act instead of being too quick to act because I know me that that's a slippery slope for me. If I just start taking over stuff, then I'll do it the way that I think it should be done. And, and I'll just completely miss the opportunity to respect that other person's opinion. So that's another growing moment for me. And it just all helped. I think to kind of get me to a place where I call myself Jameson 2.0. Uh, it doesn't mean that there's still not opportunities for me to uh, develop. And there's not opportunities for me to continue to grow into Jameson 3.0. Cause I don't know what that looks like, right? Maybe that's includes fatherhood. Maybe that includes being a husband again. I don't know. Uh, you know, as a Christian, I'm hoping that includes <laughs> father being a husband again and then fatherhood. But uh, you know, there's other, there's other reasons why if, if it happens in any other order, I'm still going to be happy because, um, there still will be a blessing either way. But my intention is to be a husband first. And, um, I don't know, I don't know what the next, that next the upgrade has for me in life, but I will say to anybody who's serious about, you know, trying to be a better man, you got to do some work on you and it can't come from this kind of shallow place of ego and pride and, you trying to sort of define who you think you're supposed to be. Um, it has to come from a place of you seeking to better understand yourself. And that, that starts uh, with some honest, serious questions to yourself that maybe a therapist can help you with. So I never would imagine I would have gone through a divorce. I never would imagine that I would have um, been through the experiences I, I went through. But that's where I had to take ownership of my life. I, like that was, those were decisions I made. And even as much as I can, I can blame or come up with excuses for other uh, people being the reason behind those things. And I was the common thread. It's my life. And I had to take ownership of it. So um, I hope that helps somebody out there listening. So I've got to now sign us off. And this has been my first live recorded podcast. So let me show you how that works. If you guys are interested in learning more about culture and conversations, be sure to download uh, some of the other episodes and you'll hear more of these type of conversations. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of this episode of culture and conversations. 
If you would like to learn more about Culture and Conversations, go by Facebook. Culture and Conversations is the page. You can also join the Culture and Conversations podcast group. Also, I am on Instagram, Culture and Conversations. And lastly, if you want to send me an email, maybe you've got some feedback about this show or you just want to be on the show, cultureandconversations at gmail.com. Thank you guys for being part of the conversation. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for sharing. Thank you guys for downloading. And for those people who have been making Cash App donations, I really appreciate those as well. But most importantly, I appreciate you guys for listening. Take care.